it's not only the culture, but also the control of the company, especially in a retail format. We have more than 3,000 people, including doctors, in the company. And if you have 3,000 people in the same building, it's one thing. But if you have 3,000 people in 280 buildings across Italy, it's obviously much more difficult to control and also to preserve uh, the right culture. And of course, his training is uh, continuous uh, uh, giving feedback to the people. Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Vera Sher, an Asian trans woman who moved to the US as an asylum seeker to escape persecution. She's also the founder of Lechery, a hosiery brand that in less than two years went from nothing to being an eight-figure brand on the shelves of most box stores. And she did this with zero VC support. So if you missed the episode, I suggest you check it out because it's fascinating. Today, my guest, as you will hear, is actually a very old friend of mine. Michelle Cohen is the founder and CEO at Dental Pro, which in little over 10 years, he grew to be the largest group of dental services in Italy and the third largest group in Europe. Our conversation was a great example of a subtle but important aspect of how I think about authenticity. The basic belief underlying this podcast is that when you are clear about your own values and operate as your true self, you achieve better results. Sometimes that means bringing more of your non-work-related values into workplace and giving more balance to your life outside of work. And that is great and actually how I operate in my professional life. But sometimes it means getting generally fulfilled through your work and what you achieve with your team. In their conversation, Michel did a great job of explaining how his philosophy and his passion for growing the business and his team has led him to shape the culture of Dental Pro. He's very clear about the values that inform how he wants to build the business. And more importantly, how he expects his team and the business to operate. We had a particularly interesting exchange when he talked about how he tackled the challenge of keeping the culture consistent in a business that is growing rapidly, not only in number of employees, because now he has over 3,000, including the doctors, but also geographically, as these employees are spread across 280 locations and expanding. So fascinating conversation, great episode. And of course, it was fantastic for me to spend a little bit of time with one of my dearest and oldest friends. So enjoy it. I normally start my podcast by asking people to tell me and my listeners their story, but I, I need to make one disclosure here. I'm here with a really, really good old friend, Michelle Cohen, who is the CEO and founder of Dental Pro in Italy. And we've known each other since our university days. And I want to share a story with the audience. Uh, when I graduated from college in Italy and made the decision to move to the US, we had one last weekend with my close group of seven or eight friends that I had spent most of my time studying at college. And I remember Michel graduated earlier than me. And he was at the time a product manager for Procter & Gamble for, uh, I don't remember the shampoo brand, but he was working in Brussels and he came back to Italy. And I remember he walked into the room where we were all, we were all sitting and he brought little shampoo samples for everybody. And it was a little bit of a scene like the big chill. And it's, it's one of those memories that I carry with me for over 30 years of like the meaning of the friendships that I have with this group of people. And obviously, like everybody in that group, it's been very exciting to see 
the progress of his career and what he has done. So, Michel, thank you so much for agreeing to do this on a late Friday afternoon in Italy uh, and taking time off from your, your family. So why don't we start now and introduce yourself to my listeners a little bit about what you're doing now and, and the path that took you here. All right. Thank you, Dino. And thanks uh, for this opportunity. Yeah, I remember that weekend you just uh, noted. L- luckily, nobody had died. We didn't meet because someone died like the big chill. But it was great, great fun. And there was a big sentiment among all of us at the time. And uh, most of the team is still uh, with great relationship, which is what we like. Oh, so we have basically the same age. I'm now 58, although I actually feel uh, much less than this age. I've been studying uh, college, uh, university business administration uh, in uh, in Italy. And immediately, I actually, I, I don't know if you want me to tell a little bit the story of my last 30 years uh, quickly. Yeah. What led you to start Dental Pro? What were some of like the key moments in your career? I basically worked uh, something like 15, uh, almost 15 years as a manager in large multinational. You mentioned P&G, which was uh, my big uh, marketing and sales school. And then I, I moved into two other businesses. Then I moved into finance. And basically, I decided to start up a small investment fund, investment club, if you want. That This led me to look around for opportunity to um, create new businesses uh, or buy new businesses that could uh, grow much faster with some capital and some engine of, uh, of experience and uh, economic of scale. So I immediately looked at different opportunities among those uh, uh, healthcare in a retail format, which is uh, the idea behind uh, Dental Pro was, uh, I was really, it was striking to me, see the opportunity that this had created uh, in different other countries. So I studied really carefully the results of other countries and apply some, some of these formulas uh, into the Italian uh, geography. I started in 2010. I didn't know so much about uh, healthcare, about dentistry specifically. Um, I was coming from commercial and finance experience. And I knew about uh, tooth as much as uh, anybody knows, which is nothing. So I, I, I asked myself, I cannot run this business by myself. So immediately I, I asked a couple of uh, dentists to join in the, into the venture. They progressively joined till full-time uh, in the first five, six years. And I searched for capital at the beginning, like uh, all new ventures. I put some of my capital, but then I, I regrouped some investors, friend uh, in a club deal, if you want, to cut the long story short. But then the, the company was doing so well in the first years that we were really self-sufficient in terms of financing. We didn't have to do so many fundraising situations. And, and after five years, we sold it to a private equity, the majority of the, of the, of the company. We reinvested as, uh, as manager, as founders. And uh, then we did this the second time after we grew again. And now the company is about 250 million revenues with a strong margin. Um, but the most important thing, we have 2,100 uh, employees and about 1,300 uh, doctors uh, collaborating with us across Italy from south to north, you know, in every region with uh, 270 locations. So obviously people uh, search for right people, which I think is one of the subjects we will discuss has been a key element of the success because, um, and to this, I really have to, to thank my early days in Procter & Gamble because 
PNG is really a school. Everybody knows it as marketing school, but I would think that it's only also a school of management and a school of manage people, train and recruit to the right people. If you think about MPG people comes in only from university, very, very rarely you get someone at four, five, six, ten years experience level. And therefore, you need to identify the right people, you know, when they don't have so much experience uh, and you don't have so many information to base the decision on. So this helped me a lot to identify the right people at the right moment in, in Dental Pro. And this is a very much a people business, both in terms of dentists, but also in terms of organization behind it. So I mean, I run the, the business since day one, but I couldn't have done this by myself. So it's it's been very, very important to select and recruit to the, the right people at the beginning. So overall, of, of course, I'm very happy what we did, but I've always, I'm always looking ahead. So frankly, we haven't done so much. We, ha- we can do so much more <laughs> in the future. And although we are market leader, we are the largest dentistry company in Italy. And I think among the, the top three in Europe. So we're quite happy, but you know, there's still a lot to do. And I apologize if I don't remember this correctly. You had been a CEO before you started Dental Pro at some point, right? Or was Dental Pro your first round as the actual CEO? Not really CEO, I, I would say. I was a general manager of a division in Autogrill. Autogrill is a, a restaurant business, motorways, shopping malls, etc. with many brands. Everybody in Italy knows it, but not internationally necessarily. And I was running one division as a general manager. So it's a bit different than being, you know, CEO of um, with all the the key the elements of a legal entity, if you want. So yes, if you want, it was my first and only experience as a full CEO. As you started Dental Pro, you know, because you started the business from scratch and then it grew pretty rapidly. How did you think about the type of leader that you wanted to be and how you wanted to lead the people around you? What were some of the key principles? One of the key elements that I kept on repeating to all the people working with me is we have to become very big, thinking uh, really of becoming much bigger than what we were in this moment. Like at the beginning, we had uh, like 3 million revenue, but we're always saying, yeah, but we need to act now like we will be 30 million sales when we had three locations, 10 locations, 20 locations, which is something if you think about it, is uh, always like behavior like you're big. If you want to be the general manager and you are a junior manager and you report to him or you report to someone that reports to him, act like him, okay, in one sense. And this is a learning that I got when I was a kid, uh, I mean, a, a junior guy in uh, big uh, companies. I try to reapply always. Act like some someone that is successful, which is probably above you in this moment, take all his responsibilities, his problems, uh, and try to solve them. And this is also the way we were running the company and trying to recruit people that were always thinking uh, very big, you know, and not only the, the reality of the business. I'm talking the infrastructure, I'm talking IT, I'm talking uh, type of investment, uh, decisions we were taking, uh, always thinking on the longer term, not only on the very short term. This was one of the key things. The, the other thing is that I've been always working in my experience in a large multinational where we were working a lot, frankly. So there was no time, uh, not at six o'clock you leave or this kind of things. Uh, 
we were sometimes working in the weekends, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we all, all have to find the right to work balance. Uh, now we are, talk a lot about these, these kind of things, et cetera. And after COVID, we'll talk much more about these kind of things. It's, it's very important. But on the other hand, if you're growing something uh, and it's like you have a few years in front of you that are very important to, for the success of something, uh, you cannot recruit people that uh, thinking to work in like nine to six and that's it. They have to think to solve the issues, to get the objective, to reach the the objective they or the activity they need to handle that day, that week, that month, rather than looking at their watch and uh, behave like public entity employees. The, the motivation to work in, in this way sometimes is not always present in, uh, in new people you want to recruit. And I always try to identify this type of motivation when we get people at all levels, at all levels, frankly. That doesn't mean that we work till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock every evening. That's not true. But it's a state of mind, you know, it's a, it's a different approach. Yeah, it's a state of mind of like looking at outcome and not at time as you're doing the work. Looking at you know, time, sense of urgency, giving the right importance to the activity that you have to run and to the, you know, happiness of the other people around you that sometimes need to deploy a lot of work, uh, which is outside the, the right timing, going out for dinner, spend the weekend uh, or, or some th- kind of things like this. So you mentioned two key principles. One was think bigger than you are right now, so you're ready. And the second one is have the urgency and be committed to growth. Were there other key principles that you wanted to put into the value and the mission of the company? Because you, you know, one of the challenges and opportunities in starting a company from scratch is that you have the opportunity to set up the culture. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's the beauty of creating something from scratch. And integrity, it's very important, is in a little bit abused word, but I always test this in uh, interviews and I, I do a lot of interviews. I spend a lot of time in doing myself interviews, even now, you know, not all the thing, the people we recruit, of course, because we recruit like seven, eight hundred people a year. But uh, where I have the opportunity, I, I test and I, I know how to test uh, how important it is for persons, for each individual. The, the the integrity, which is not only like uh, stealing or thing, but uh, you know also the integrity among people with uh, suppliers, with uh, collaborations, uh, with, uh, with with clients. Uh, this is very important, especially when you have a business like ours, which is related to health care, and you have a direct to consumer contact because the point of contact of our employees with I would say ninety percent, ninety five percent of our employees have contacts every day with general people and very often uh, mid or high age, uh, all kind of social and economic environments, etc. So integrity and 100% uh, trust uh, or working to, to make sure that the, your customer, or in this case, client or patient, uh, have the trust on, on us, on the brand, and therefore on the person that represents the brand. This is also a key element uh, that, that drove all type of recruiting of, of personnel and the culture of the, of the team. Then the other thing that is really important, uh, how to explain, when you are three or four person in the company, everybody does everything, okay? And then when you are 30 or 300, then, you know, of course, the more you grow, the more you start segmenting the responsibility, etc. Something that I hate 
is when people react uh, like in each department. I, I'm sorry, I cannot help because this is not my job. Uh, you know, it is never not my job. So needs to find way to help each other among departments, among roles, among responsibilities. Um, and I even wrote a letter to all employees uh, a couple, few months ago saying we cannot listen anymore in the company, the, the language between brackets, this is not my job. Because it's a state of mind. Not my job is, is a negative state of mind that drives me to think that the company has become uh, a public entity rather than um, that's not the right gate. You have to go in that gate, number 33, for this thing. No, that's, that's, not, <laughs> that's not the way I want my company. And luckily, my team... My direct team is really into this, and maybe not luckily, this has happened uh, by, by recruiting, of course, and training. Everybody thinks in the same way. Maintaining culture, when you are growing at the speed that Dental Pro grew, you know, right? You're hiring a lot of people, hiring uh, personnel with a completely different skill set than the traditional business personnel, because a lot of your growth, as you pointed out, is dentist and sometimes acquiring dental practices. How do you maintain the overall culture of the company? What are some of the things that you did to make sure that as people were onboarded in very large numbers, the culture of the company was preserved? Yeah, it's a good point. It's not only the culture, but also the control of the company, especially in a retail format where you're, you don't have, you know, we have more than 2,000 people, actually more than 3,000 people, including doctors in the company and if you have 3000 people in the same building it's one thing but if you have 3000 people in 280 buildings across italy it's obviously much more difficult to control and also to preserve uh, the right court culture and of course is training is uh, continuous giving feedback to the people we have a performance review metric uh, which is done not only every year but every six months uh, regularly in all levels uh, Every person in the company has a salary and a bonus at all levels. At all levels. Receptionists have it, manager have it, but even the very junior level have it. And this is important because it's uh, continue to, to create a culture that, uh, uh, you know, when you come in, the first thing that you know is that you need to reach certain objectives. And it's an important thing. We're all going into this direction. And therefore, the culture is, is preserved in, in this way. So you create some procedure, some mechanism that allows you to, to pass the culture, even if you're not able to talk directly to all the people of, of the company because it's too big. The idea of procedures and operations to maintain culture, I think, is something that is often underlooked. You know, if you obviously, when you're operating like a very large retail organization, some of the way that the culture is reflected is in the way that your clients, your patients experience the company. How did you ensure that the experience for every patient across um, the network is the same? Are there any specific things that you did that you felt were really helpful? First of all, we are a company that is, is really made of protocols. You know, protocols is the technical medical name of procedures, which is a, a way of behaving, whether it's a clinical way of behaving or organizational every clinic uh, across uh, the country has a very precise protocol in the way we host patients and the way we take the appointments and you know there are hundreds of protocols sometimes even too many <laughs> by the way we're trying to think whether in, in, in artificial intelligence is going to help us uh, 
put together all these protocols that we have created in, in 13 years that are, you know, stratifying one on, on, on the other. But this is, has been very important for the culture because uh, every time a new employee comes in, and as I said, we enroll about uh, six or 700 uh, new persons every year because of, uh, you know, the company is, uh, is growing and also because something over, of course. And they are coming through an, an initial training. Then they have to read uh, all the protocols and procedures. Uh, they talk with the other people in, in the team. And then if you go in one of our clinics, uh, unless are some of the clinics that we just acquired and therefore we need some time, of course, but if you, if you go in new clinics or clinics that we acquired for a while, then you don't realize where exactly you are because they're really the same approach. Then obviously at the clinical level, each doctor is uh, different than the other. So you cannot create an uh, homogeneous uh, approach doctor by doctor, but also they have uh, guidelines and uh, clinical guidance, but this is very, very important. Otherwise you're just a patchwork or of location around the, the country without being uh, really one brand or one company. Great. So something else that I'm interested in, you mentioned that when you start, you had the idea, you started the business and realized that you did not have the medical healthcare expertise and started with two partners who were dentists. One of the areas that a lot of founders struggle in, in businesses that have st strong either scientific or technical foundations is finding the right balance between the business leader and the product experts. What were some of the things that worked as you started building your relationship with your partners that then made it possible to lay a successful foundation for Dental Pro? First of all, I was the founder and the guy that had the idea. And then I, I recruited those two doctors. One was a super friend of mine. is the funny and interesting thing of working with a very good friend, which is sometimes works, sometimes not. In this case, has worked, but it was very clear from day one that the doctors would have to run and carry only the clinical part, while I was really running the company from an economic point of view. You know, there is a old rule of thumb in the sector of working with the clinicals is that it's better the clinicals. Obviously, there are some exceptions, but the clinicals don't uh, have the opportunity to invest all the money they have available, but if someone has to control them, otherwise they spend everything. So we have to be very careful with clinicals. And that was clear from day one, and that was very important that they arrived at new, knowing that they, could, they can, couldn't do what they wanted 100%, and then we had to debate, etc. And then, I'm, I'm sorry, but the last word, I had to, to take the decision if, if there was a discussion. And that was important from, from day one. That was, that was very clear and they accepted it also because they didn't have the experience, frankly, to run a company and manage it, et cetera, et cetera. So they really was expecting this from me and therefore was very clear the, the balance uh, between the two. But, you know, in a company that is a now a large company, but even at the beginning has a, a very important balance between the clinical part and the organizational part and both need to work. This uh, combination of also expertise uh, was one of the success factors, frankly. I've seen company going against the wall, run only by doctors, but also company making too many mistakes, uh, clinical mistakes, uh, 
if they were run all only by managers or non-clinical experts. So the combination was really helpful. I'm going to go back to something you said earlier. You mentioned that one of the great things about starting your career at PNG was that they mostly take people out of college. And so you get a lot of training in there. And it's a very regimented approach. Once you moved out from PNG, how do you start thinking about how you wanted to lead and what was your your style, if you will, and your approach as a leader, maybe taking some of the things you had learned and then really creating your things that were your own? I have to, to say that PNG for me was really a school that I, I really appreciated. So I tried to replicate a lot of the things that I learned there into the other experience I had after that. So it was, was really fundamental in my development. I have to, to, to admit this. And I still, despite it was only eight years at the end in, in three countries, but okay, eight, in two, three different roles, but only eight years compared to maybe 30 plus years working now, still those eight years have been uh, the most important ones for the shaping up my expertise and uh, this approach, uh, if you want. Um, also being in a very large multinational like PNG, although at the beginning you only run a small part of the business, etc., gave me this mental uh, approach of uh, thinking very big. The motto of our company in Dental Pro, you know what it is, is uh, sky is the limit. It's, it's in English, it's the sky is the limit. Everybody understands it, of course. And this is a motto of growth, you know, and the sky is the limit is the motto since day one, basically. And uh, it's something that everybody likes very much because uh, everybody wants to work in a company that is big, successful, growing, etc., etc. Everybody wants to make more money, of course, but everybody wants to work in a successful company. And therefore, you know, if the motto is uh, growing and, but it's not only growing in terms of revenue, eh? it's, it's also, the, um, we try to apply this uh, also in terms of each manager need to think that he can develops himself much more than what he is now okay he can continue to grow in terms of training the other managers in terms of uh, uh, speaking in public in terms of uh, build business analysis if he's not analytical in terms of uh, relationship with people or negotiation skills you know whatever all these kind of things if you think about sky is the limit is uh, something that uh, brings you into something that you don't know now, but you know that you can achieve, you know, you, you, you can, you can grow further in the, independently from the res- economic results of the, of your company or of your area. And this is something that I, I learned uh, at the beginning of, of my career and I'm trying to, to always apply. Great. I'm going to move on to the more personal side of our conversation. What is a hobby or interest that you have outside? of the business and, and how has that maybe helped you in the work side? I'm very sportive. I like sports, uh, as, as you know, very much, both uh, watching them, most of the sports at the end, not only one or two. And then I also w- w- like uh, doing them as, 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 as much as possible, uh, you know, if I have time <laughs> and strength enough. But this is important because I've always done sp- uh, team sports. Okay, also individual sport like tennis, okay, but also, I don't know, basket or soccer or this kind of sports, which are team sports. And then in team sports, you have a lot of uh, impact uh, of, you know, the other groups, the other persons, the way you work together. 
it's not only the technical as as we all know and this is a lot of elements of the sport can be applied to the business and very often we create uh, these kind of links uh, between the value of the sport uh, and the value in uh, in the business and we use this metaphor a lot uh, during trainings uh, during meetings we have uh, and people like it because uh, everybody likes sports in general there's a more fanatic like me and less fanatic but you know people understand it it's very easy connection and i frankly like very much the the link between the business relationships and the sport relationship in team in in the team also the sky is the limit is if you think about you know long jump or high jump uh, you know okay you do two meter 36 and maybe one day you're gonna do 240 and then 242 and then or 990 in in 100 meters you know there is always a, a record that you can meet and there's no limits yeah there are some limits of course but if you think about mentally it's very close to the to, to this business approach that i have so i i use a lot of this relationship between sport um, i'm not the only one to do it of course <laughs> a lot of people doing it but i like it and it works very much great next question every business area has some expressions or jargon that at some point is so overused that it loses meaning what is the one that drives you crazy yeah, maybe that's the thing I told you before, you know, the thing that's, that's not in my business. That's not in my camp. I'm not sure it's abused, but it's, uh, it's something that really gets me crazy when I, I listen to this. Uh, it's a negative approach that I frankly don't like. It tells a lot about the people. And it's not only within the organization, also with suppliers, with, uh, you know, uh, consultants, uh, it's also people outside. I like optimistic and positive approach versus negative. And this is a very negative approach if you want. And frankly, I, I hate this. Final question, food for the body or food for the soul. It's a, you can, if you go the body route, you can tell me a recipe or a drink that really nourishes you. Or if you go the soul route, a piece of music, a movie, a piece of art, a book, something that right now you really enjoy. Uh, music and very old-fashioned. Uh, I'm going to Bruce Springsteen, uh, that I know you also like very much, concert in a couple of days. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. And I'm not so fun like a lot of friends of mine like you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm sure I'm gonna, I will enjoy a lot. And also when I, I have this uh, situation, I start to listen to this, this uh, musician much more in the period, before and after the concert. Uh, I like also full immersion in things like uh, I love Talking Heads, for example, or Cure. These are very old groups. And sometimes I listen the same group for one week uh, and then maybe I don't listen anymore for one month, you know. But uh, I like this, uh, this full immersion because it's, it gets me on, if you want. So this is Springsteen Week for you? <laughs> it is, yes. It's Tuesday, I think. In Milano, San Siro is going to be... I've been already a few times, but there's going to be a great concert. Fabulous. Michelle, I'm so happy we did this. It's great to see you. I'm sure I'll see you hopefully in person in a few months. And thanks again for coming on board. All right, Dino, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss a single episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. 
five stars all the way. Stick around because after the credits, I'm gonna play a song by Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. And for more information and all the links, go to the website, al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. And please follow the podcast on the social platforms that you are present on. On Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tona Silvarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, here's a song by Susan Cattaneo. Given that Michelle was in a Bruce Princeton kind of mood, I picked a rocking song. It's called Let the Music Deliver Me. Enjoy. Sounds making steel cut wings Flying